Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. We're excited about Easter. I, I don't know uh, if this was uh, talked about or not, but um, so Easter's uh, really cool. We uh, kind of had a, a podcast or a joke in the podcast this last Thursday about how like, we, we want to really emphasize it being Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the idea that this is a celebration of Jesus resurrecting. And, uh, and so we're going to emphasize that uh, just to get you prepped for that on April 17th. Uh, it's going to be really good. And then we're going to have some, uh, if you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, we're going to have some some like kind of daily devotionals to walk you through Holy Week, starting with next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and up to kind of the celebration of Resurrection Sunday that following uh, week. So just want to get you that out there for you guys. Uh, I got a couple other things I want to update you on, or at least one thing. So, uh, if you're new here, I am not the lead pastor of Mission City. Our lead pastor, Russell Schultz, is in Brazil. Uh, he is on a mission trip there with a group of guys that are looking or were looking. They've returned basically from their journey. They're kind of spending the day to recoup in Manaus, uh, and then they're going to be headed back. Uh, they've got three flights, I think, tomorrow, so that'll be super fun. Um, but they went there with the idea in mind to go and find a church planner who would be willing to uh, meet in or go into a village in the Amazon in Brazil and uh, reach a, a group of people who had not heard the gospel. And so uh, they just positive reports back. What I'm hearing, they've found a church planner. Uh, they found an area that is uh, that, that they want to send someone to. And this church planner is excited about going to that area. And so mission accomplished. We have found and hooked up uh, an opportunity and a church plan, and we're going to be, uh, I think we're well on our way to supporting that happening. So praise God for that. Uh, I want to let you all know that, uh, that Russell passed that along, um, and then we'll uh, kind of play into our sermon a little bit today too. But uh, just so you know, I feel like I need to confess this. Uh, so this morning, two cups of coffee and two Krispy Kreme donuts. So a few things we need to be on the lookout for. One, it's very easy for me to get scatterbrained, and so I'm going to try to keep this as linear as possible. But if I lose you, just you know, stick with me. We'll get back on track. Uh, and two, there's going to be a crash coming at some point. So we can all just pray that that happens after the message and no, none of this gets lost along the way. Um, okay, but enough of that. Let's, let's jump in. So uh, I want to start with just kind of uh, an interesting thing that I found this week uh, just in relation to the story. So during World War I, uh, U.S. service members received aluminum identification discs. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it was like the first version of what we might say today is a dog tag, a, a way to identify a, a soldier and in case that they uh, were to fall in battle, their remains could be sent back and we could identify them and give them a proper burial or uh, let their families decide what they wanted to do with them. Uh, prior to this, a lot of times soldiers would uh, fall in battle and they would just kind of end up, that's where they would be buried or uh, whatever would happen to them, they, they would not be identified, um, be able for their families to kind of put them in a final resting place. So World War I, we start this idea of an identification disc and uh, there were over 100,000 soldiers or U.S. casualties in the war, and it was thought to be uh, the best way to identify as many as possible so they could be honored and buried um, with their families. 
1920, in the December of 1920, New York Congressman and World War I veteran Hamilton Fish Jr. proposed legislation that provided for the burial of one unknown American soldier at a special tomb to be built in Arlington National Cemetery. Now, if you are unfamiliar, this eventually would become known as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, where we've got uh, this honorary uh, space for people who have gone unidentified and fallen in combat so that we can uh, see that and recognize them and understand that that is uh, that, that that's uh, a reality of war is that there will be casualties that go unidentified and uh, maybe not have a final resting place. Now, uh, why do I bring this up? So we're in this series in Acts. We went over Acts chapter 10 last week. We're jumping into Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to skip 12 and then talk about a little bit of 13 today because we're focusing on this specific church that's been planted in Antioch. Uh, now, if you are unfamiliar with this, don't worry. We'll get all through uh, the text together. We'll walk through it kind of verse by verse uh, or the chunk by chunk at least. Uh, but what you really need to know is that uh, those who left or those who went to Antioch to begin the process of uh, converting, of evangelizing, of giving the gospel to this group of people in the city of Antioch. A couple things that are important. One, they start out in Jerusalem. So these are individuals who start out in Jerusalem hearing the gospel. They might have been uh, introduced to the gospel uh, at uh, Pentecost or at some point as the church was growing rapidly as we've kind of looked back through the story of Acts and how the church was formed. Um, And at some point then there's this guy named Saul who's going to really lead this kind of uh, instruction or this opportunity to disband this Christian movement that's taking place. So instead of, uh, you know, it being a place where it was free to worship and to hear about this message of Jesus and all that, um, it was an opportunity for them to come in and say, no, we're actually going to uh, grab you. If we find out that you're a Christian, we're going to come to your home and we have legal authority to take you out of your home, to put you in prison or to even kill you based off of this gospel, this belief, this news that you're spreading around. And so because of that, these believers are then, they're going to leave their house and home and go and scatter in the surrounding areas. And one of the areas that the believers went to was Antioch. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, uh, and so they, it's kind of a coastline there, so they might have taken boats or uh, traveled, uh, you know, horse or however they got there. Not important. Important thing is, is that they left due to persecution, and this is where it connects to kind of the idea of the unknown soldier is that uh, those soldiers who we have unidentified, uh, regardless of where, what you believe about war or right or wrong or whatever, um, those individuals, they died for a cause that they believe was worthy of their life. They died for a cause that they believe was worthy of their life. And these individuals who we'll see, uh, who are unnamed, uh, went to the Church of Antioch in fleeing from the, the possibility of their life being taken because they had a cause that they believe was worthy of giving their life to and sharing that message of Jesus and continuing to share it regardless of the persecution that they were facing. Um, so we're going to jump in. If you have a, a Bible with you or if you have one of our Acts booklets or something, we're going to open up here to Acts chapter 11. Uh, we'll start in verse 19. 
Uh, but I'm going to pray for us real quick before we get any further. Uh, God, I just pray that you would be with us this morning. Pray that you would, uh, one, just kind of calm my mind and, and uh, my, my soul right now. Just give me a clarity uh, to be able to present the words that you have given me. I pray that you would speak this morning, God, that I would just be uh, removed from any of my own thoughts or anything that don't need to be said. But God, that you would just come and, and be present with us this morning and speak to us. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word would be revealed to us, that the truth in your scriptures would be open to us, and uh, God, that we would just come to a greater understanding of who you are and a greater love of you because of that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We'll start to see this story in verse 19. So, it says this, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so Stephen's uh, the first one that was really martyred uh, or killed because of his belief in Jesus, and then uh, they, people kind of begin to run uh, after they receive news of that. And so they leave as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that uh, we saw the gospel and the Holy Spirit for the first time be received by Gentiles or non-Jews. So that's just one chapter ago that that just happened. Uh, Cornelius, this Roman soldier who's a God-fearing man but did not have the knowledge of Jesus or at least receive the message of Jesus yet. But uh, Peter gets this vision, he comes and speaks to him, and, and the, really the gospel is made known to Gentiles for the first time. Well, at the same time, these persecuted believers in Jerusalem are leaving and going to these other places and they're sharing, but they're only sharing with Jews because at that point, up to that, up to that point, like that's, that's what was known, that's what was done, is that it would be for Jewish people that, that they would already be believing in the one true God, and this is just an, an alteration knowing that Jesus was the Messiah that they believed all along. However, uh, as we'll see, they'll begin to kind of uh, branch out from there. Uh, a couple things I wanted to point out about this, though. Number one, uh, I kind of mentioned this last week, but uh, this is a good example of it, is that oftentimes persecution leads to the church flourishing, or actually leads to the advance of the gospel. Now, I want to be really clear, uh, and I say this kind of jokingly, but also half serious, uh, that when we say the word persecution, sometimes it gets thrown around in... Uh, maybe different ways than what we see in the Bible. And so uh, I'll just throw this out there. If like someone says a, a, a comment to you on social media or something that's not uh, the nicest thing in the world, I don't know if that falls under the term persecution. Uh, or if uh, instead of blaming like every bad thing that happens in our lives on being persecuted, uh, not necessarily true, unless it lives up to the criteria of you were being dragged out of your house and thrown in prison because you believe in Jesus. Um, so again, I say that kind of half-joking. I don't mean to offend anybody. Uh, I just kind of want to point out like that's what persecution was at the time that this is written. Uh, is that people are actually being pulled out of their homes and thrown in jail or even killed for their beliefs. But what we see is that leads to the church expanding. It's going to go uh, to all of these different cities, and the gospel is going to continue. The, the advances of God, the plan of God, cannot be stopped by people persecuting the believers. It actually just leads to greater expansion. Uh, we also see uh, that eventually, and this is kind of a spoiler alert, but uh, these people leave and they're uh, expanded because of the persecution specifically that Saul was leading. Uh, and eventually Saul's actually going to become uh, the first missionary sent out of the church of Antioch, which is really just comes full circle. Very uh, interesting uh, part there. Um, it also says that they were uh, speaking the word to no one except Jesus, the word being the good news of Jesus and salvation offered through him. Okay, let's move on to verse 20 and 21. 
Uh, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, uh, again, to point something out here, uh, this, this term Hellenist, uh, if you remember back a few chapters, uh, a message that I uh, preached on it, I think it was Acts chapter 6 maybe, we'll see this same word or this term for Hellenists. Uh, they were, uh, at that time, it was ref- referencing uh, most likely Jews who had come to Greek customs, or they were speaking Greek language, they had kind of adopted some of the more cultural things of the day, uh, of the, like the Greeks' customs. Uh, that's what maybe the term Hellenist means. But also, uh, it's just kind of a blanket term, or this the, the original word in Greek that's translated to Hellenist could eventually also just speak to Greeks in general. And the way that this is written would lead us to believe, if we, take, if we look at verse 19 and then kind of leading into 20, that verse 19 specifically says that they were speaking to no one except Jews, but then 20 starts with, but there were some who went to speak to Hellenists. We could also come to the conclusion that they're speaking not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles as well. And so we see that this is the first kind of combined multi-ethnic, multi-background uh, uh, church that's being formed here. The church in Jerusalem is really just mostly Jewish or uh, Hellenistic Jews. But this church in Antioch is going to be one that's going to combine the cultures together, combine different backgrounds, combine different political ideologies uh, around the message of Jesus. So uh, we see that here in verses 20 and 21. Uh, But I just want to also say as well that uh, I'll leave that open a little bit for your own interpretation. Uh, I just kind of make a general statement about who the Hellenists are. But uh, you kind of go either way with it's being Jews who kind of adopted the Greek culture or being actual Greek non-Jews Gentiles. All good there? That's probably, you probably don't even care about that. Got it. Moving on. All right. Um. Okay, uh, so here's the, the last point I'll make about that, though, before we go too far. Uh, I find it really interesting. Uh, up to this point, we've been introduced to a number of uh, individuals or, or, like, key figures, right? So Peter and, uh, and Paul or Saul at the time and Barnabas and, like, all these different, like, key names. We know named individuals who are going to share the gospel or share the good news at this time. But what we see in verse 20 is it just says, some of them, some of them, they're the unnamed, they're the unknown, the unidentified, some of them. And uh, I think the point that's really important for us to gather this morning is that people are the key to the church spreading um, in the sense that the some of them were the ones who shared the gospel originally with the people in Antioch. Uh, Now, I want to kind of, as we're walking through this passage in the beginning of this church, I want to kind of compare or at least give a little bit of a mirror to what we're doing here at Mission City because we are a church plant, right? We've only been uh, really meeting or gathering together for about a year and a half now, and so we're still very new in the terms of church life and uh, in the, like, idea of what a church is. And so uh, I would argue that we are in this phase still of The sum of them. We are the sum of them. We may be the ones that are never identified. Uh, I have no intention of ever being like a known person that's like if a hundred years from now, nobody knows what I ever, a message I ever spoke or anything I ever did in the church. I'm totally fine with that. 
Um, and, uh, but I think that it's important that we gather, that we, that we understand this idea that it's the sum of them, it's the unknown, it's the unnamed, it's maybe the ones who don't, aren't, aren't known, but that begin the gospel movement in Antioch. And that's, uh, maybe that's like my hope is that uh, even if none of our names are known, that the church is known because of the work of the unnamed and the unknown. I think that's where we're at. Okay. Let's move on to verse 22. Uh, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, which is cool. Um, so we see that this is, uh, yeah, the first place that we're called Christians, but we also see now that the, some of them, the unknowns, have gone and shared the gospel, now we're going to bring Saul and Barnabas in, and there's going to be a year-long discipleship teaching that's going to happen. And so what we see here is that there's this kind of natural uh, idea that evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. We have the some of them, the unknowns that go and share the gospel, and then we have Saul and Barnabas that come and teach and expand on that for a year with them. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. I, I point this out for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I think that sometimes we get caught up in the, uh, well, let's just like get someone saved, and, and I kind of cringe at that language just in general, but uh, let's, you know, share the gospel. Let's get them to believe in this message of Jesus, and then that's like our job, and we've done it, and moving on, and great. But it's like, no, there's actually, you know, a lifelong journey that's just started when you receive the gospel, and it's like you need someone to come along with you and teach you how to view scripture, teach you how to follow Jesus, teach you how this gospel, this good news actually impacts the rest of your life. And so we, ha we see these teachers come along and a discipleship begins. And so evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. Number two, that it's a lifelong journey. Uh, discipleship is a lifelong journey. We see that they come in for a year, and most likely not just a once-a-week deal, but that they were living with them, that they were teaching regularly, that the entire purpose of them staying with them in Antioch was just to teach them all the ways of Jesus, to teach them all the ways that the church was growing, to teach them all the things that they needed to know in a discipleship way, to teach them the scriptures, because we're talking about also the potential of, of Gentiles, of non-Jews, so there's no uh, background of knowing uh, the Old Testament that the Jewish people people had. Um, so there's all of these things that need to be taught and need to be learned, but not just for a year. Like, that's just the teaching portion. Then it's the rest of their life of believing and leaning into that teaching, right? And so uh, we see that in that way, discipleship is a lifelong journey as well, um, and, and this idea of the belief in Jesus and then being discipled and going on that journey, again, they just go hand in hand, but there's a natural progression here that's taking place. We're going to skip now to chapter 13. So you can flip a couple pages or whatever you need to do to get there. Um, but we see that this, so evangelism, now the church is being discipled. And now we're going to get to step three here in the beginning of chapter 13, the first three verses. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work 
to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands and sent them off. So now we've got step one is the unknowns, the no names. They evangelize, they share the gospel, they share the good news. We bring in Saul and Barnabas and these other teachers are raised up so that they can lead the church and disciple the people. And now we're going to get to sending them out. In other words, I would say it like this. Evangelism leads to discipleship, which leads to multiplication. Evangelism leads to discipleship, which leads to multiplication. That's going to be, there's kind of, I think there's a slide that says that. There's probably a comma that needs to be put in there somewhere. Apologize, not the best with grammar, but you can write that however you want if you take notes. Evangelism leads to discipleship, which leads to multiplication. Uh, similar to what we are talking, what we, what I shared with you all this morning about what Russell and the group in Brazil are doing, uh, we are trying to do all three folds of this. So what this looks like for us, uh, as we try to infiltrate this surrounding city with the gospel, the good news is that uh, we've got a program like a like mission workshop. Uh, it used to be mission weekend, now it's mission workshop. It's going to take place over uh, five weeks, and we're just going to share with you and kind of raise you up and build you up and give you uh, the tools and resources that you need to impact your community. Uh, it's going to kind of look at the ways that you're, you're gifted, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and, and look at ways that the how you can use those things that God's already given you uh, to m- impact your world, your life, your family, your friends, whatever it may be uh, for the gospel. Is we want to include, even if we're the no-names, even if no one ever knows who we are, we want to impact this city with the gospel. Uh, we've got disciples groups because we want to come alongside those who have heard the good news, have responded to the message of Jesus, uh, and want to know more about how to walk with him and how to learn about that. So we've got groups that do that, and now we're sending uh, those out into the Amazon to find uh, other church planners who we can support and multiply. We see all three folds kind of happening, taking place here at Mission City, and this is where we get the blueprint for that, is right out of Acts and the church growth that's happening there. Um, and I want to kind of um, take a few minutes to talk about this because uh, although like all of this is kind of a cool story, right? Like, okay, great. Like, yeah, we have these people that went and took the gospel and uh, there's discipleship happening and the church multiplication. Like, that's all really cool and everything. And I'm glad that we've got programming or we've got that set up here at Mission City and, and great. But here's like what spoke to me most about this. Um, and again, to go back to this idea that there are these uh, unknowns, these, those that are, are not named, who began the work of sharing the good news of Jesus with, uh, with the city of Antioch, is that uh, we have to embrace that ourselves to get started. Uh, there's there's uh, something that needs to take place in us, uh, a belief that has to happen, an encouragement, a motivation, whatever it may be, uh, to rally us around that idea. Because here's the deal, like, I look back at those individuals, and I know that they're not named, and, and I get that we've kind of made a point of that. But they went from, there's a possibility of me being dragged out of my house to, I'm going to continue this message and risk that in another city. Like, yes, they were fleeing from the the persecution that was taking place, but they uh, continued to risk the idea that they would share this gospel. It was worthy of risking their life to do so. 
and my concern, like, like so, so there has to be a motivating force. There's got to be a driving thing. So uh, one of the things that I think is really important that we do every Sunday morning is that we just remind ourselves of the gospel and the encouragement of that so that we are then encouraged to go and share that with others. So uh, I've got a few things here, and we'll put them on the screen, uh, that we as believers, these are blanket general ideas that we have uh, in our possession. If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, these are things that are true about you. And I just want to read them and some scripture with them to encourage you and remind you of the gospel this morning and remind you of the good news that you have, that you've received, that someone risked what it, maybe it be uh, humiliation, maybe it be uh, their status, maybe it be whatever it is, that they were following Jesus to go and share this with you. Uh, and then that you received. Um, so number one, that we have received forgiveness of sins. You have been forgiven of every wrong thing you've ever done, have done, and will do because of Jesus. Because he chose to come and live a sinless life and die on the cross in the most brutal way that humanity has ever devised to kill someone. You can now live a sinless life. You have forgiveness of sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've been forgiven of everything. Here's the second one. You are spiritually alive. You have life in your spirit because of the good news of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love and with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, our, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been made alive in your spirit because of the work of Jesus you have a peace that surpasses understanding. You have a peace that surpasses whatever the world could provide you. Anything that you can find here that might give you a taste of peace, it's better because you have faith in Jesus. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. May peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have a better peace than what the world could offer because of the sacrifice of Jesus. You have a better joy. John 15, 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. May be full. Fullness of joy can only be found in Jesus because we have a, a, a Savior who, despite facing every hardship that we might face here on earth, he's already been there, done that, conquered it, and he gives us that righteousness and that victory. We have joy surpassing anything that the world can offer us. We have love that surpasses anything that the world can offer us. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, I'm going to be just really real with you for a second. No matter like what extensive love you have felt, and hopefully you've had people around you that have loved you well, God's love is better. There's a better love that's available to you because of Jesus. Uh, I love my wife Sarah so much, but I will never love her the way Jesus loves her. 
Uh, I have received, I've been thankful and, and I've been blessed to have people in my life that have loved me in hard seasons and have brought me through to this place uh, and, and yet they will never love me the way that Jesus loves me. I have a perfect love in Jesus that I cannot find anywhere else in the world and that's true for you too if you've put your faith in him. And finally, we see that we have an eternity in community with God. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anybody encouraged by those things to know that you have those? Here's the reality. The people in our lives, in our worlds, our friends, our family, our coworkers that don't have their faith, that have not put their faith in Jesus don't have these things. They have not experienced spiritual life. They are spiritually dead. They have no place of perfect love, peace, or joy. They are currently set for condemnation and an eternity of misery separated from God. This is the reality of those who were in Antioch before the none of these or the some of these or whatever point and shared the message of Jesus with them. This is the reality of those around us who don't have their faith currently in Jesus and we've been given the task of sharing that love and joy that we've received with them. We are the sum of these that go and share and begin the work of the gospel. Now, uh, I say that and I realize that uh, we live in the United States where we are not being pulled out of our houses uh, for belief in Jesus, that there's a general belief in, uh, or general knowledge that there may be a God and there's pushback to that and I understand all that. I'm not, not uh, I'm, it's not lost on me that it's a different world that they lived in that we live in, but the reality is the same, that the end goal or the end uh, uh, place that we find ourselves in is that we have all of these things and those who have not put their faith in Jesus do not. And so while our task may look a little different, uh, the end result, the end goal is the same. And, uh, and uh, we've been given it in this area. Um, so uh, how do we do this? I'll give you one practical thing. I'll invite the band to come back up uh, because I believe that this is our season to lean into this idea that we are the sum of those that will go and begin the work of sharing the good news with this city, with this community, with this area. Um, and so how do we do that? Um, and uh, this is the strategy that I've uh, taken on. This is the strategy I think that our, our church, not, not that there's just one strategy, but this is a strategy that our church supports. Um, and I would encourage you to consider it this way. Um, instead of uh, an opportunity, so, so Russell's talked about the opportunity to have easy gospel conversations. So um, whether that looks like maybe it's you're at work and somebody just shares with you in a, in a vulnerable moment, like, hey, I've just been feeling really anxious uh, in this season, or I've, I've really been struggling with this, or I've, I, I, I just feel like a lack of this in my life. And, and you as a believer have the opportunity to say, yeah, uh, hey, I, I get that, man. I'm, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way, but, but can I tell you, like, I, I, you know, when I feel that way, I know that I have this place. I have uh, my faith here that this is going to provide me for that, and it's not let me down and it's there for me. Um, I, and, and, and so in that, uh, we have the opportunity to share stories. We have the opportunity to share testimonies. We have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done for us. And I would just frame it to you in these three simple questions, and they'll be, I think, on the screen as well here for you to think about. Uh, the question one is, who was I before Christ? 
who was I before I put my faith in Jesus? Now we've just listed a number of things that are true about those who have not put their faith in Jesus, that we believe that they're spiritually dead, that there's you know, a lack of perfect peace and love and joy and condemnation and things like that. But, but who were you specifically? We can use all these churchy words, these church language that, that it's okay in here because most of us understand that, but, but what does that mean for you? Like what specifically were you li- lying into leaning into the lies that you were believing were fulfilling you before you met Jesus. What changed when you put your faith in Jesus? How has Jesus uh, impacted you? What happened when that moment happened uh, that you put your faith in the Lord and, and how has that been different? Uh, this morning I asked some of our volunteers who were here, like what is the thing about the gospel that stands out to you the most? And uh, well, there's just a number of encouraging responses. Uh, somebody mentioned how um, just the idea that I've been set free uh, from my sins, that I'm not chained to them, I'm not in bondage to them anymore. And, and I'm actually, you know, in, in bondage or I'm a slave to righteousness, that I lean into righteousness, that I desire righteousness in my life. And that's maybe one of the things that has changed when we put our faith in Jesus, that no longer do these things make sense to us, that we're giving us a, a cheap imitation of joy and love and peace, but that we've actually found the true joy and love and peace. And when we go back to those old ways that were imitations, we understand this is, this is not good enough anymore. This is not what I'm looking for. I've found something better And then the last question, who are you now? Who am I now? Because I've put my faith in Jesus, what does my life look like now? And maybe you've done that recently, and so you're like, oh, it looks pretty similar to, you know, the last question. Uh, but, But who are you now? What has changed about you? And when you put all those together, it, it might sound something like this. This is, this is my story in brief fashion. Before I put my faith in Jesus, I was looking for fulfillment in life in all the wrong places. Through sexual pleasure, alcohol achievement, and many other things, I found momentary fulfillment, but nothing that would last. I felt broken and empty. And when I put my faith in Jesus, I found true joy and fulfillment for the first time. It was like the dark caverns of my heart that could never be filled finally were. And following Jesus has given me a framework for dealing with anxiety, fear, and depression that the world could never offer. I have better relationships, better understanding of myself, and a better outlook on life than I ever had before following Jesus. I share that with you not to brag or any share anything like positive about me, but to know that I was blessed to receive someone that, that offered that gift to me to know the good news of Jesus that changed my life, and we have the opportunity to do the same. And someone out there needs to hear your version of that story. Someone in your circle needs to know how, who you were before Christ, that you were in the same boat that they were, how that's changed and who you are now because of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. We also have three community groups that meet every other Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or you can email me at jake at missioncitykc.com.